You're listening to The Naked Truth, queer artist interviews. I'm Peter, your host, and together we're going to sit down and unzip with some amazing creators and learn the naked truth about their work, their lives, and what it means to make art as a queer person. Thanks for joining. This show explores the area of human sexuality and contains some adult content. Today we're joined by visual artist Scott G. Brooks. In addition to exhibiting in galleries, he has illustrated several children's books, and his work is frequently featured on the cover of DC LGBT magazine Metro Weekly. In 2019, Scott was one of the 25 finalists in the beautiful, bizarre magazine art competition. Thanks so much for joining me on this rainy day, Scott. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a real pleasure to have gotten to know your work over the past few years, and I think it's some of the most distinctive I've seen in terms of both style and subject matter. So uh, could you just talk a bit about your background as an artist and and also sort of your background, maybe more holistically? Well, I grew up in Michigan. I went to uh, the University of Michigan and I, I studied painting and, and some commercial art classes. But I've everything's always revolved around the figure. Almost always my work has, uh, has involved the figure and, and, uh, either live models or I, I work from photographs and I've always, uh, was drawn to work that I wasn't going after beauty necessarily. I was kind of going after just, you know, I don't call myself an outsider artist, but, uh, that's work that there wasn't the kind of work that you'd see every day. I mean, there's enough doing people doing beautiful landscapes and, and I wanted to do something uh, a little more, uh, my own personal, I guess. So. Well, you know, the functions of art are so varied and there is a place and a definite need in our lives for consuming things who that are, um, beautiful and delicious mm-hmm. and sensuous in terms of our, our full emotional and artistic experience. There's everything from sort of unsettling to the humorous and ridiculous to the absurd. You've written in sort of preparation for this interview that your paintings border on the surreal, ranging from portraiture to complex narratives and incorporating historical and religious imagery with social, uh, psychological and political issues. So, I mean, I feel like within that rests almost the entire scope of what art can do. (laughs) Well, you know, art history influences me a lot. I mean, and I just from my background and growing up and and religious paintings were some of the first artwork that really struck me. And just the language that's spoken, I think I'm trying to carry on that tradition in some way. Could you talk a little bit more about either a religious upbringing or the way that religious imagery and art was an early influence for you? Well, we grew up Catholic and we went to church every Sunday and honored all the holy days and did all that good stuff because we didn't, I didn't really know any better, honestly, but I believed it. And I until I went to college, as I got older, like, but it was, it's still fascinating. I find it fascinating to this day, how it can grab people and change people in the wars and the conflicts that are created and just on a personal level, the politics of it and how people can be swayed by it and brainwashed by it. Uh, that's that, I think that's all endlessly fascinating to me. So I, I incorporate that. And also because I think some of the most beautiful art in the world was created, let's say, in the name of God or in the name of, you know, religion. Sponsored by, at the very least. Sponsored by, and and to tell the stories of. And so I'd like to think I'm carrying on that tradition on some level. But, you know, I have another, you know, that was, what, 600 years ago and I'm or more, and I'm... I've got that much art history in addition to that to work from and to glean from. Well, it's it's interesting to already have turned towards the religious because in in doing another interview 
for this series. Uh, I was talking about Paul Cadmus mm-hmm. and was looking up some of his work. And uh, I, I see an enormous similarity between your style and some of the pretty surreal slash disturbing Seven Deadly Sins series, oh, which yeah, is yeah. just absolutely mind blowing. And he did one of my favorite was the, uh, I think it was the a cafe scene or something. And uh... Oh, with all of the like drag queens and, and cross dressers. Yes. I just, and that's actually in DC. That's uh, the Smithsonian owns that. So, um, and it's not very big and, uh, but it's just amazing. Uh, So that's one. And I'm actually doing a painting, a Bacchanelli painting right now that I did not plan it when I started, but the more I worked on it, I realized, oh my God, it's just, there's a lot of compositional similarities to it. You know, and he just had so much fun with some of that stuff. And well, that painting as well is such a, is such a mix between a last supper. And there's also the, the painting that's going right out of my head, but it's the one of course with the big, um, you know, all of the muses and all of the important uh, poets and, and Greek figures. And so it's in dialogue with all these other masterpieces. Sure. Yeah. And, and it's great fun. Um, and it's also a challenge to try to get all these people to fit together in an imagined space because, you know, you can't really get, I don't know how many people are in Cadmus's painting. There must be 30 or 40. And it's crowded. And, uh, and they all just fit together like a puzzle, you know, and he's just, he's amazing. Um, as well as the color and the personality. And so, uh, he was, yeah, he was a big influence. Um, something about the faces in, in your, in your work as well. There's a, I, I feel like the, the eyes are a little widely set. And there, there's something, there's something that's saying this isn't quite like real life, even about your figurative right. work. Yeah, and that's you know, I think I've kind of been pulling back. I think back uh, maybe ten years ago, I was much more extreme, where the heads were really big and the eyes were really far apart, and the body, you know, were a little squat. Over time, I've kind of pulling that back a little bit, so they're a little bit more in proportion, if not completely in proportion. And that's part of the life drawing group that I'm going to, um, and also because I didn't want that to get in the way. And I think sometimes people would see it and just like, Oh, the eyes are too far apart. And so that's not the first thing I want people to see. I want, there's other stuff going on. So I've, I've scaled that back a little bit, hmm. but it's, it's definitely still there. And it's just sort of a way I work, even if I'm, I think of it as a signature style. Well, I do too. And I, I, I don't want to get locked into the, the proportions, you know, and that's part of the fun of being a painter and doing my own thing. And I'm not, while I do work from photographs, I don't, you know, I don't measure anything out. It's just all, uh, let the proportions be what they want to be and, and fill up the page and, uh, and take it from there. And, and then it's because otherwise you can just get really locked into, and, and I do have that issue sometimes where I get too locked into the reference material and I'm trying to loosen up. So that's, that's my goal through the quarantine, <laughs> just loosen up. But well, we've, we've dived head yeah. first into discussing the work. And I, I want to pull back for a moment to, to go back to background stuff about how do you become an artist? What's your, flashback memory of finding visual art uh, as an important way of, of expression. It's been there from the beginning. I remember, and, I, and this, this just came up like a week ago, I got an email from my kindergarten teacher <laughs> from whatever, how old I, you know, do the math. She contacted me. And I remember distinctly in, in kindergarten where we would draw and she drew everybody's silhouette portrait, which you, you know, put a light and they do paper. And so she did everybody else's, but when it came to doing hers, she called me up and I actually drew her silhouette. So she recognized it. Uh, other people along the way obviously recognized it as well. And and I, uh, that was kind of my, um, my sanctuary. You know, I would, my, I lived with a bunch of kids and family and pets. And, and I think that was the only way I could get any 
it, it was just chaotic. And so I was able to kind of get away and take time for myself to draw. And, um, when I could, which was rare, but I did. So, and then I, I just kind of stuck with it and I bought a set of oil paints off a friend, like probably when I was 13 or 14. So at that point, I kind of knew that was the direction I was going to go in. And uh, I got some scholarships from school and, and the school district that I went to school at from K-12 hired me to paint murals in uh, the different classrooms. So that was my first job. My first real job was uh, painting murals. And, but I, you know, I had already started college at that point. But uh, it, I, although I didn't know and didn't have any real guidance as far as what kind of art, I didn't really know the difference between, say, illustration and painting and so it was kind of wide open for me to just do whatever I wanted to do. And I'm imagining a, a scene that probably never happened, which is where you were hired to do a mural in the kindergarten classroom where your teacher asked you to, to draw her silhouette. I'm guessing that never happened. It totally did happen. What? Yes. <laughs> what a cinematic experience. What a, what a great yeah, no, moment. And, and I, it was the gymnasium because the, back in the 60s, there was you know, a lot of kids. So we were, our classroom met in the gymnasium of the school. And when I went back, they wanted me to do a big sports scene. And this would have been in the 70s, or I guess it would have been 80s. And uh, so, you know, we did a lot of Olympic, like, I don't know, uh, Magic Johnson and, and uh, probably a lot of Detroit Tigers. Um, and then I included myself in it um, with my mullet. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so it totally happened. Um, That's marvelous. And there's, there's photographic proof. So I think it's gone now. They lasted for a really long time in those schools. Uh, they were covered up over time. It was a great way to make a living yeah. in college. So so how did you end up uh, landing in, in Baltimore? Well, I let's see how to go. Um, well, after college, I went back to Flint. And I was doing more murals and trying to get off, you know, the illustration together. And um, I didn't come out until after college. So it would have been like 24, maybe 23. And so I uh, started going out and I met my first partner who was from Cleveland, but he was working in Flint. So at Buick. So uh, we were together uh, we were 14 years, but he uh, got a job in Washington, D.C. So this was, you know, Roger and me era the shops were, you know, closing. Uh, this was 1990. So in 1990, I moved to Washington, D.C. with him. And uh, we lived in Virginia for a few years. And then him and I split up and I moved uh, into Washington, D.C. proper and lived there. But I was in, in total, I was in D.C. for about 25 years. And then I moved to Baltimore in 2016. And we're really glad to have you here. I'm really, really happy to be here. <laughs> I love it. So you, you came out you said after college, you were already you know, making plenty of art by this time. In your own coming out journey, do you feel like your art was a place where you were beginning to experiment with your feelings and sexuality? Was it a safe space in which you could begin to express what you were coming to realize about yourself? Yeah, my artwork is, I kind of felt like I got a pass being an artist and being gay. It's like, eh, you know, who cares? Of course. And uh <laughs> And that's kind of my attitude. And, and I don't say it was, you know, I don't. Well, it was also in like the 80s and 90s. So I feel like being gay was a kind of fraught thing in a, in a way that is less so now. Right. Oh, absolutely. I think early on before 
before the AIDS crisis and, and all that hit. And certainly, you know, the AIDS crisis uh, had more impact on me than actually being gay because, you know, that could kill me. But like I said, I said, I felt a pass. One of the first big paintings I did, it was called, and it was just a surreal, not that different than the kind of stuff I do now, but it was a street scene and, uh, and it was all these weird characters and they're not weird. They're just different is what was the name of that painting. And it got in the Flynn Institute of Arts in the museum, the, the local museum. And I remember somebody asked me, is, is that because you're gay? And I wasn't out at that time. And I, I totally shot them down. It's like, I think I denied it at that point because I wasn't out. But once I came out, you know, I started seeing uh, his, his name was uh, Mike Mancini. We lived a pretty open life. You know, we moved in together and, and had a great time. And uh, yeah, my work was always, you know, even back when Flint, I got banned. Actually, some of my work got banned from the local uh, show. Badge of Honor. Yeah. And it was it was right after Maplethorpe. And it was like, oh, shit. And, oh, yeah. That happened in my hometown. Oh, that was since, oh, yeah. There you go. Exactly. And uh <laughs> So, you know, it was just the show before me was up and she had taken, she would do like uh, bras and panties and she would dip them in plaster and then she would hang them up like on a clothesline. And, and it was in a, you know, it was a public space. It, it was in a bank. And um, that's kind of Andy Sprinkle esque. Yeah, it was, it was beautiful work, but she didn't get any press for it. But then it's like, oh shit. And I knew I was the next one in line for the show. And I knew there was going to be trouble. It's like, I just, knew it and uh and sure enough the the people from the bank and the curators they all came to the studio and and i wasn't upset it's like i don't expect my work to be for everybody and so yeah they banned it and i was on the front page of the post or the front page of the flint journal and everybody saw it and uh and i was sort of i I actually was funny because the show opened on a friday and i moved to washington dc on that monday so i was like i don't give a shit i'm leaving so (laughs) (laughs) it was just sort of I had so many other things in my mind and so much. I mean, I was doing the biggest move in my life in three days. I couldn't really, that's, yeah. I'm sorry. I've got if, other work, you know. Who cares if Flint doesn't like your work? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't, it, it made no, and other people were calling me and my professors from college and they're like, oh, you just, you know, we stand and we support you. And, and I got a lot of grief because people were angry that I was getting all this publicity and all this press. Sure. And, you know, I really didn't give a shit. I mean, I'd been in the newspapers and stuff before with the murals and this was just such a different, most people knew me as painting Big Bird or painting uh, Winnie the Pooh and and that's how they knew me. And What was, happened? Where what did you happened? go wrong? And now I'm painting breasts and sculpture of boobs and dicks and whatever else. It affected other people, I think, a lot more than it affected me. Let's put it that way. Oh, it's a nice badge of honor and I have you know, copies of the newspaper here and I post them and they're on my Facebook page probably. But um, yeah, it just, it didn't really make a blip for me. And when you want to piss people off and you want to make a statement or you want to make a stand up and make some kind of, it doesn't work. And it's usually when you accidentally do something that you don't even think about is what's going to cause people to freak out. I, I agree. Honesty is so much more radical than a kind of posing contrarianism. Yeah. And that's kind of what happened. <laughs> so, but so I've always, but as far as my sexuality, my work, I, I, part of it, you know, you, you, you're familiar with my work. I, I have a, some of it is more sexual than others. You know, I do a lot of figurative work and I don't think just because I'm drawing a naked person that that's sexual. I mean, I think of that as a classic and academic and many things, but sure, I don't think it is sexual. And same with, you know, having a model. And, you know, I've been doing that since I was, I've had models since I was 17, you know, in college. And it's not a big deal. And, but it is to some people. Th- that's certainly true. And I think that there is a difference between, say, 
going a little bit to the work that you have shared with us, there's a bit of a difference between, say, a mostly nude figure like in Flight of the Magdalene, where there's a Christ figure. That's Christ, right? Christ is wearing a loincloth. Right. Um, versus New American Gothic, mm-hmm. which uh, I was very proud to pose for, as well as my boyfriend, Doug. But I mean, that is, yeah. I am in gear. A belt is being used as a leash. And I'm sure there's there's plenty of people who would say that puppy play isn't necessarily sexual. To many to most people, that conveys yes. something sexual. Even if they don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly. Which and in fact, that's probably point. why it conveys something sexual. Yeah. And part of putting uh, the characters in this classic sort of Victorian couch with beautiful wallpaper is- I love the wallpaper. It's just a sort of like- kind of a mindfuck. You've got this very kinky scene, but you're also just sitting there, you know, and you're not doing anything. And I don't paint people having sex very often or if ever. I imply it at times. And then that's one that's, it's a very uh, trigger kind of thing where it's like, there's something going on there and I don't like it. Um, <laughs> it's like, Or you might so, not like it. Or you might not or like you it. Might. Exactly. I mean, it, or, it's, yeah. um, and I, I have to wonder with that painting, it's cheeky, clearly. Mm-hmm. And the, the title certainly suggests that. But I wonder if you feel like the subversion that's happening is that you are taking, you're taking all of these symbols and connotations from the Victorian era, from everything from the title to, as you mentioned, all of the decorations, and you are thrusting something sexual into that. Or are you turning the subaltern and sexual into something domestic by putting it in this setting? Can I say both? <laughs> uh, yes, of course. That's that's a valid answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so many different levels in that. And I think part of it, I mean, you guys are friends of mine. And so I've, I've done a couple puppy paintings and used that aspect because I just, it's costume. It's sort of like Commedia dell'arte uh, in some ways. And it's, we're all friends and you guys are, and, and the same with like furries and things like that. It's like, that's part of my, but some people, they've never been exposed to anything like that. So um, it's it's also introducing it. And so I'm, I'm sure there are some people who have, they have no concept of what that is. And, um, and that makes it fun for me. And the same with putting uh, like Jesus in the boat and, and Mary Magdalene. And if you notice Jesus is, uh, he's always got these weird hand gestures, but that one, I don't know if you're familiar with the shocker, uh, two in the pink and one in the stink. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's marvelous. Okay, well, that's what he's that's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I told uh, you know you you know the model, uh, and so uh, I told him it's like I asked him if he knew what that was, and he sort of is it this, and I said yes, that's it. He was a good sport with that. So let's let's dive into that painting actually, just because there is there's so much going on in there, and just like a tiny detail like that suddenly makes an enormous difference to the feeling of the whole piece. Mm-hmm. So. There, first of all, I just want to say that that there's so much going on in terms of content that I don't want style to get away from us. And I think that the painting is, is gorgeous from the perspective of lighting and proportion. You do such a wonderful stormy sea sky, the shark, all of the all of the lighting is just exquisite. So I, I, I don't want to get away from the materiality of it just to talk about the content. So we, we've got so much going on in this. There's the woman up at the front with sort of a suit of armor dress talking to a lantern fish with what looks like a human face. Yeah. There's a woman who looks much more contemporary behind her with the oar. There are the children, which may be a closer example of what you were talking about earlier with the sort of inflated head and squatter body. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a Lewis Carroll queen-like figure at the back with a ruff who is 
bustle looks like it's covering either two dogs or a two-headed dog. <laughs> There's like a squirrel with an oar behind. What is going on? Well, you know, this painting took me a long time to do. So, Can you give us the proportions as well, just so we've got a sense of... Yeah, it's four feet wide by three feet. So I started this, this is a painting I started in DC, and uh, it evolved so much. I mean, I have photos from the first versions of this, and uh, it, it took on the Da Vinci Code, the, the Mary Magdalene. One of the myths about Jesus and, and Mary is that right after the crucifixion, that Mary was his wife, and they had you know children, and so they had to leave, and they went to the south of France. And uh, so one of the things about that is it's also hashtag uh, too many Marys, <laughs> and another one is because uh, it was Mary Magdalene and then Mary his mother and then there was a Mary the sister and and there was just yeah too many Marys which works on many levels right <laughs> and uh, and I also called it Jesus Cross in the Delaware so <laughs> but it becomes a balance sometimes some of my paintings I mean to just finish it because some of these take so long and and right because there is so much going on and that I just try to hit on something that works uh, compositionally and works that I can finish. And uh, so sometimes the characters take on real roles, like, you know, in a movie or something. And other times they're just fillers. <laughs> and I, I, I sometimes will throw things in to kind of throw off the viewer. And But basically this is about Mary Magdalene fleeing and going to France. But on the on a baser level, it's a boat scene. And the thing about, you know, they do it in the movies and they do it in television. And, you know, when you have a boat, everything, all the action and so all the life and the drama, because, you know, it's life and death. It all takes place in one little box, basically floating in the water. So the three biggest characters are the one, they had, they had been there the whole time, the Jesus, the one in the back, and then the, the woman in the front. Those three characters were always there. The rest of them had evolved several times, several, many times that at some point it's like, I'm locked in. Okay. I'm locked in. And the, and the Jesus was the very last person, you know, he was totally different model, totally different look and mm -hmm. feel and, and and I mean this one honestly was going to be the owl and the pussycat <laughs> the, the storyboard. I swear to god that's what it was going to be uh, and, uh, and the woman in the back was going to be I don't know the owl or the pussycat and then it was um, and it just and then it was going to be a Noah's Ark thing and it just evolved and not all my paintings go through that transition I mean most of the other ones that I that you have there they're all pretty much cut and dry. This one, because it was also, you know, there was, a, I was in DC and I had moved to a studio and my partner and I broke up. And so I moved to Baltimore and. Oh, this, yeah, this tracks that whole time period. This tracks that whole time period and beyond. Wow. So even before and after. So. Well, in some ways this feels very surrealist in, in the classic sense of being documentation of the subconscious or of a collection of things from one's psyche mm -hmm. uh, sort of just assembled and that is the purpose. Yeah. And when I see it, that's all I think about. It's like, oh my God, the shit I went through while I was painting this, <laughs> it's like the move and the, and the frustration, it, it all played out in this, you know, in this little boat. So um, amazing. Yeah. And like from what I see in it, a few things that, that strike me is that since you double down on the religious quality of it, there's something sort of subversive to Jesus's foot being in the water. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are biblical stories where he's on the boat, but then he walks out of the boat on the water. Mm -hmm. He doesn't set his foot into the water and it goes under. And there's a shark there too, so. Yeah, <laughs> there's also that. But, you know, so so there's actual peril yeah. this time. And there's a dead mermaid too, so that's sad. Oh gosh, yeah, there is. Sometimes I just, I start throwing this stuff in there and just compositionally, 
I just start making scribbles. You know, I just start, okay, I'm going to put a circle up here and then I'll figure out what that circle is going to be later. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the same with this. It's like, okay, you need something in this corner. You need something in that corner just to get the eye to kind of flow around. And, and then I have to figure out, okay, what's this circle going to be? And what's that circle going to be? And again, not all of my work is like that, but sometimes I just want to start a big, crazy painting. And it's really fascinating to hear, um, the idea that in in work that's such that's so rich in uh, its content that sometimes the content is just the elaboration of form that it's just I need a circle here so here's a piranha floating in the middle of the air <laughs> you know <laughs> and that's sometimes that's all it is you know but you know you tr I try to make it work contextually and um, you know and part of the thing for me is I just I want to paint I'm not. Yeah, the story's important and the narrative's somewhat important, but you know, I'm not being paid by the Pope to tell the story of Adam and Eve you know, <laughs> and to get that point. I, I'm the story is kind of secondary to the actual the lighting and the figure and the forms and the and the actual painting of it. And um, and you know, when I start a painting, just uh, start putting paint on a canvas and see where it takes me. And you know, in this case, four years later, this is what I got. So. I want, to, I want to talk a little bit about your life more generally uh, and where you find your communities. Now I'm going to, I'm going to reference the title so you can take this as figuratively or as literally as you'd like about the idea of nakedness. Mm -hmm. Where are the places again, physical, metaphorical, it could be community based. It could be anything that you can be naked. Wow. Where I can be naked. Um, yeah, it's, well, it's, it's phrased a little. Uh, so I've got to kind of parse it to figure out how I, it fits in with me. Uh, you know, the life draw, I, I don't mix my art and sexuality very often. I know it's, I just never have, I, I keep it very separate. So when I'm at, uh, the drawing, it's, it's still business for me and that's still work. As long as I have, if I'm working and I've got a pencil and paper and I'm, to me, that's, that's work. Um, and, and for social time or naked time for me is, uh, is, you know, out having a, a, beer with my friends. Also, your art itself could be a source of nakedness if you feel like your art is where you can say anything or where anything can happen. Well, and that's, yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's why maybe there's so many naked people in my paintings. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't, I'm not going to get naked myself for anybody, but, uh, or for, you know, public. And, um, and so I, that to me is socially acceptable. I can paint as many naked people as I want and not worry about, I mean, people will judge me or not, but I know that it's okay. On the wrapping up end of things, once slash if we get COVID-19 under control, what are you looking forward to in that future? Afterwards, it's not as much art related as I just want to go somewhere. I just want to take a drive. And I loved sitting out and having a beer at the you know corner bar or whatever, sitting at, you know, sitting on the patio and, and with friends. And uh, it's a small thing, but it's a, it's such a big thing. It's so, my God. And the weather hasn't been that great here lately, but it's getting nicer. And that's when it's going to start getting really crazy. It's like, oh, I just want to get outside because I'm at, you know, I'm at the studio all day or I'm at Tom's and to go somewhere that's not his place and just but be public and, and just hang out with friends and just getting, like going to the beach and, uh, you know, Rehoboth or Provincetown or, um, or the mountains, you know. <laughs> you, you seem to like these clear lines again, like separating uh, business and pleasure and even even in going out from your own home to relax uh, mm -hmm. since your home is your studio yeah is is one of those separations I, is that yeah well 
I probably do. I've never believed that's a good thing to bring up with my therapist. I'll ask. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really think of it that way. But yeah, it's like, well, because like, I work a lot and I love working. I, I mean, I've always got my work within reach, you know, a sketchbook or something. And uh, I could do that all day. I mean, I do do it all day. And I can sometimes go for 12, 14 hours and not talk to anybody and not go out of the studio and not, you know, I can just keep going. And then I'll hit a wall. It's like, I have got to get out and, I mean, I've lived in the cities for most of my adult life, and, and I, I love getting out of the city. I mean, I, I don't want to live out in the middle of nowhere, but I love being in the middle of nowhere. Just no people except my partner, and I think that's what we look forward to doing is finding a nice remote Airbnb somewhere uh, that we can go and just get away from it all. So I guess when this is all over, I won't be seeing you. <laughs> well, well, we'll have to come back. I mean, his business is here and my business is uh, here, but you know. No, I know. I know. <laughs> Although I think about it, although it's like, oh God, you know, because the thing about the pandemic is just, you know, you're taking mortality and it's like, this could be it. I mean, and what am I, what should I have been doing? And it's like, I would have loved to have spent more time in a national parks or whatever, hiking and in the wilderness. Um, I guess for me, I, I think, of course, this could be it, but you know, going forward, it's like any of that, I'll save that for later. That's all off. Yeah. And next chance I get, that's when I have to do it. Yeah. And the same with the work. It's like, I have so much work that's just been sitting here. And uh, it's like, I've got to get this done. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with me. This has been really fascinating. And uh, thanks so much for joining me, Scott. And uh, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will really enjoy looking through your work. Great. I appreciate it. Thanks for spending some time with us on The Naked Truth. If you want to learn more about this episode's artist, be sure to look through the links in the podcast description. Please consider how you can support the creative people on this show and in your community. Art helps us all get through. And that's The Naked Truth. <laughs>